Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode nine of the Two Pad Stack Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Ace Chisling. Alongside me is my wonderful co-host. Welcome back, Burge. How's it going, buddy? Oh, it's good to be back. Uh, it was kind of weird after last week not being able to jump on with you due to me going back to work after my paternity leave. So adjustments galore over here in the uh, Burge household. Got to get back on the ice tonight for the first time. So that was uh, that was a experience, we'll say the least. Uh, been four months. I haven't played since my babies were born. Felt great to get some exercise again. Sure, that was good. And and just a reminder, everybody listening here, um, this episode is brought to you in partnership with Primetime Productions. Make sure you follow all their socials. Um, but yeah, on on the note of getting back out on the ice, how long has it been for you since you were out there in, in the crease? Uh, four months. I played up until my twin babies were born and took the summer off. Right for rightful reasons, as you might expect. Uh, you know what it's like to go through having a new infant. I had two of them, so quite a uh, adjustment period there. Uh, feels great though. It felt great to get back, kind of like riding a bike. There was definitely some rust in the uh, in the game a little bit, but uh, overall, it went very well. We got the win. I picked up an assist that doesn't happen very often. Shot the puck right up the boards to my teammate. Went down on a uh, on a break and scored the goal. Everybody on the team was freaking pumped about it. I was like, the ref was pointing at me, jumping up and down. Even the ref was into it. So <laughs> it was an all around, all around good time. I did end up on my back more times than uh, you know I'd like. Uh, sure, you know what it's like. You taught, don't end up on your back. It's kind of a useless position to be in. I ended up there, I think, five or six times tonight. So mm. gotta clean that that up in my game. But and we got the win, uh, and. Uh, it was a great workout, dude. I'm gonna be. I'm probably. Gonna, I don't know how I'm gonna get out of bed tomorrow, dude. I'm gonna pop some ibuprofen before I go to bed. <laughs> I am gonna be. I'm already feeling it. I, I stepped out of my truck when I got home, and like I was like, whoa, my legs are stiff and sore already. I'm like, geez, tomorrow's gonna suck. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm sure you. That's something that you'd experience if you ever put the put the uh, pads back on again. Do that, that first few times you put them back on. You're, especially at our age, we're gonna feel it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really looking forward to it because I'm starting to get the itch again. I mean, as I've mentioned to you and a few other people on social media, I broke off. I broke off. I, I took out my goalie skates again, and I hit the ice this weekend. I, I was on the ice for three separate one-hour sessions. Wasn't playing, but even just getting out there without skating for like two years, getting back on the ice, my, my body's like, <laughs> by the way, here are some of those muscles you haven't used in a while. Exactly. They're here. Exactly. We, they've been asleep, but now they're awake, and you're gonna know about it. Like <laughs> my calves are screaming at me, my glutes were screaming at me, and all I did was like skate around and and help all these kids from age four to eight as they're trying to figure out how to how to skate and and hold a stick. And it was really honestly like hurting cats. It was kind of funny. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of these these young guys, you know, that we talk with about, you know, within the prime time network, they're gonna they're gonna hear this and they're gonna, they're gonna listen to these old geezers talking about being sore playing. <laughs> Somebody like Lauren, who's a twenty, I think she's twenty two. She's a goalie. She doesn't know what we're going through. No, <laughs> you know? no. But she'll find out. <laughs> you go butterfly. You kick out that leg and you just feel your hip go pop. And you're like, oh no. Yep, and it's for like what, three weeks. One of those moves that your brain just thinks you can do it and your body's like yeah, yeah. let's talk about that for a second <laughs> yeah it's like riding a, a big old rusty bicycle 
Um, before we go too far into this, I want to remind everybody that's tuning in for episode nine that we have a really exciting guest later on tonight. Um, Ty Anderson from 98.5, the sports hub. Um, he is going to be joining us. We talk about training camp. We talk about lineup projections. We talk about his road to becoming a well-known and well-regarded beat writer here in the Boston beat. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was a really awesome interview and I look forward to bringing that to you guys later on. So stay tuned. That'll be, uh, you know, around the, the 40 minute mark of today's episode, you'll be able to listen to that directly. So. Yeah, definitely looking forward to hearing uh, what what Ty had to say. You know, thanks to Ty for taking the time to to join up with you, Ace. Sorry, I couldn't make it. Obviously, I was playing tonight, so. But uh, it's gonna be be awesome to hear what he has to say. I'm curious if you uh, if you were able to get into the whole Felger thing with him at all. We touched on it. I'm looking forward to hearing that 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 gif that gif that he created that he tweets out every now and then involving Tuka Rask just gets me every time. Yeah, it's uh, we. I definitely brought that one up for you. So, so yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit later in the episode. Um, so yeah, like I said, I got on the ice and I uh, I have officially been roped in, uh, most likely to be coaching the intro to hockey program here in Rochester. I was uh, on my way out. I already had Amelia, my youngest, who's playing hockey now. She's like, Daddy, can we stay on the ice longer? I was like, no, that's the thing with hockey. Like, everything is very regimented. You know, mm-hmm. you can't stay on the ice extra unless you're like the last ice slot of the day. You, know, you got to get off the ice so the Zamboni gets out there and cleans the ice, and the next people that spend way too much money mm-hmm. on ice time can get out there and get the get the ice time that they paid for. So she was, I would like my little heart melted. Like, I'm like, oh my, this kid that had never played hockey before at the end of her third session is like, I just want to keep going. I want to do this forever. And she That's was already an ready. Awesome feeling. Dude, it was so great. And she was like, I'm ready to quit being a dancer to be a hockey player. I was like, sweetheart, <laughs> you don't have to quit dance to play hockey. You can do both. Yeah. It's all right. That's that's awesome, and uh, yeah, I saw some of the uh, the clips you shared on, I believe, is on Twitter there. And uh, all I could think about was like going back to my days when I was playing, when I was that small, trying, you know, to skate around out there, just kind of getting your legs under you and, you know, thinking about getting to do that, you know, with my children when they get a little bit older. It uh, it melted my heart watching it for you. I can, ima- I can only imagine how it felt. Dude, just seeing the development and, and the mentality change at this age is ridiculous because the first day she steps out on the ice, she keeps falling. She can't do it. She start the tears are starting to flow. Mm-hmm. This is hard. I don't like it. I was like, well, we had the right attitude coming in here. We're going to fall down. And what do we do? Every time we fall down, we're learning something. Every time we get up from falling down, we're learning something. You're developing these new senses of, you know, this new sense of balance that you've never had to use before in your life. And, the third or fourth or fifth time that she got back up after falling, she did it quicker every single time to where even at the end of the first session, 50 minutes, mind you, this isn't like a three hour session. This is a 50 minute session. She was getting up no problem and getting uh, back onto her two feet on the ice. And it was awesome. You got to love that, that perseverance uh, that the the kids have. And uh, you know, I mean, that's great. I mean, I know from my experience as a kid, I, I hated it the first time I got on the ice. And it was one of those things where it, it doesn't seem like you have the same the same thing. But like I had to wait a year. My parents had to wait a year to put me back out there because I like refused to go back. And here I am 30 years later 
busting my butt in an old guy league and hurting myself and and all that just for the love of the game. So gotta love, gotta love that. And it's gotta be great watching all the other kids too. I mean, I, I remember being at the rank when, when I was playing, you know, through high school and stuff and you see all the mites playing out there and a mite game has got to be so fun to watch. Just watching everybody just go for the puck and, you know, falling everywhere, getting back up. It's the cutest thing. And I, I, I hope that, you know, you get to that point because it, it is an amazing thing. I can, can only imagine what it's like to be a parent and go through that. Only uh, only a matter of time for you, my friend. Uh, I know. Three boys. I'm, I'm kind of a little bit worried. Uh, I don't know if I want all three of them to play. If they all want to, we'll do it. But I'm just already in my head. I'm thinking the time commitment, the financial commitment, you know, the driving that we're going to have to do. Mind you, I look forward to being that parent that goes away on the tournaments, you know, when the kids are all mm-hmm. playing the knee hockey in the hallways, causing all sorts of havoc. I'll be at the bar with all the other parents, having a beer, you know, watching the you know football or hockey game that's on and letting the kids yep. just run around. Some of my best memories as a kid were, were doing those things. Oh yeah, dude. It was so good. Um, so kind of an exciting time here in, in Boston Bruins land. We, t- we touched upon it in the Ty Anderson episode, but um, last captain's practice of the year, is finally done um on wednesday the bruins report to warrior ice arena for off ice um physicals and that type of stuff Mm -hmm. um first on ice day is on thursday so and uh i believe it's saturday they're already going to be in their first preseason game so getting closer we talked about it all pretty um, extensively in the Ty Anderson interview, but you know, the bottom six is just a clusterfuck. Like so I have no idea what they're going to end up doing. First, what are your thoughts? What, what do you think the bottom six is going to look like? You know, I I'm very intrigued to see what Morgan geeky brings to the table. I've kind of through my sim leagues kind of followed him a little bit from his time in Carolina before he was selected in Seattle I, I'm very intrigued by that signing to fit kind of maybe that third line center role. Um, interested to see who they pair him with. Uh, you know, with you, know, you got a bunch of guys like you said, all these you know one million one one year one million dollar veterans to mix in with. You know, the kids like John Beecher. Will he will he take a stride in in camp to maybe secure a you know a role in the fourth line? From what I've read, I didn't get a chance to catch any of the prospects challenge, but. Uh, sounds like Mark McLaughlin had himself a pretty good, uh, pretty good tournament from what I was reading from the guys that were up there. So I, to be honest, I, I, I kind of want to see what it looks like in, in, in the game situation before I kind of put a lineup on it mm-hmm. just because there's just so many, so many potential combinations that you could end yeah. up seeing. And there's a lot of question marks, even, I mean, how the top six is going to look. I mean, you kind of know the guys that are going to be in there, but how are they going to slot in? What are the lineups going to look like? You know, because obviously with Bergeron and Krejci gone, you get the hole down the middle. What's going to work? Are they going to plug and play throughout the season, or are they going to find something that really, really sticks? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, but the the good news is is that we're going to have real hockey to talk about here soon. That's not just the prospects challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that for the prospects challenge, the players that really gave me some excitement because I was able to watch a few of those games. Um, I was really impressed with uh, with Harrison. Um, Brett Harrison had a nose for the net. I think he had three goals in the three three games of the series. Um, 
he, he had some good chemistry with his line. Um, Poitra was pretty good as well. I, I don't think he was quite as good as Harrison. Uh, I liked seeing some development on his two-way game. He seemed to be pretty well defensively responsible and, and to be trending in the right direction. And then my last standout, and I've kind of sung this guy's praises before, uh, Luke Toporowski was a lot of fun to watch too. Um, I expected to see more out of Fabian Lysel, and and also um, on the defensive side, um, I got to give a shout out to Jackson Edward. So saw him playing, and and everyone kind of labeled him as just like a a predatory defensive defenseman, you know, Scott Stevens style almost, with a little bit more of a modern take. And as Brett Brett Howard would remind you, he's a London Knight. <laughs> That's his boy. Forget, um, but Edward was making some fantastic moves out there on the blue line. I saw him. Um, the the four checker was coming to put pressure on him at the blue line on the offensive zone, and he did that. He dipped his shoulder and went to the backhand and went right around that four checker, skated in towards the hash marks and backhanded a beauty pass for a nice opportunity right in the slot. Um, it did, it didn't result in anything, but just the fact that a guy that had that like McQuaid type label is able to pull moves like that against his peers. Um, it's got me pretty optimistic on, on that, uh, former seventh round pick. You definitely want to see them bring in some kind of physicality too to the defense. I, I, I feel like, you know, I mean, we've been talking about this for years going back even to the, the, the Stanley cup final with, with the St. Louis blues where they had, they don't have that kind of physical Bad, I don't want to say big bad Bruins, uh, you know, player, but a more physical kind of lineup. They're too small. They're not tough enough. That's always been the knock on the on the Bruins defense, at least for the last few years going into the playoffs. And it's it's noticeable when they get to the playoffs because they end up dipping out. The guys get hurt, and you know the results haven't haven't been there in the playoffs. Um, I'm it, when when it comes to training camp, I'm, I'm curious to see how these two PTOs kind of slot into the mix with everybody else that they have, uh, you know, waiting, ready to go to compete for those slots. I, I'm really intrigued to see what Danton Heinen can bring to the table. I, I, I honestly think he he's, he's got a good shot to secure one of those roles. Obviously the familiarity with, uh, with Jim Montgomery from his days in Denver, his familiarity with the, with the organization. He was here for quite a while. I always felt like he got kind of an unfair treatment, at least in terms from the fans. It was kind of a, you know, everybody wanted him gone. He, he didn't seem to live up to the hype, you know, when I want to say a few years back when, when he was getting some top six minutes to play with, you know, Bergeron and Marchand. So I'm very intrigued to see what he can do. I think he's got a much better shot to, to, to make the to make the actual roster than Alex Chason does just because of the familiarity. And I, I was honestly shocked that he didn't end up getting signed to a contract, uh, yeah. you know, throughout the uh, in, in the offseason because he 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 was he wasn't a, a bad last year when he played with Pittsburgh. So interesting no, to see what that plays scorer. out. Yeah, I mean, you look at and I think I've cited this before, maybe in last week's episode when it came out, but uh, um, Heinen had some of the highest five on five scoring metrics um, per 60. So, I mean, I was actually, I think Ty, ironically enough, our good friend Ty Anderson was pointing out the fact that Heinen's per 60 five on five scoring was actually better than Tyler Bertuzzi's last yeah, year. I, I remember seeing him say that. And, you know, with all the, the, uh, the animosity towards the organization for letting Tyler Bertuzzi, Bertuzzi walk to, to Toronto, 
you, you see a stat like that, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe he wasn't worth the money that Toronto gave him, and they can replace that that kind of production with a guy on a PTO. That would be great if if that, that works out in the Bruins' favor. It'd be another win for Don Sweeney. Yeah. Um, I'm right there with you, dude. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in the bottom six. We talk about it a lot later on. Um, I think that I have a good idea of what I'd like the, the, the fourth line to be, but we'll see how it goes. We'll revisit that next week when we're recording again and we have some some lines and, and some things that they're going to kind of go over on, you know, what the, the pairings are and that sort of thing from the first few days of camp and the first preseason game. So that's exciting just to say that we'll have an actual Bruins, Boston Bruins game to talk about the next time we record. Um, let's go to another topic here, Burge. Um, The other big piece of news is the uniform set for this year. I know we did some speculation and we talked about what we had heard and, and the jerseys we're going to get. What are, What's your overall takeaway now that you've seen them uh, officially unveiled? Um, underwhelmed would be the best term for me uh I, i'm not a fan of like the shiny the shiny gold that they that they brought into them a little bit um it, it was kind of what i expected for the logo at least for the you know the home and the away kind of that old b before they became to the uh to the fleet center kind of that old style of uh, of the spoked b it's just it, i expected more i mean it i, I i'm kind of indifferent on them as i guess that's the best way to put it i I don't love them, but I don't like hate them. I don't think they're an abomination. I just, the hype, the hype going into them, I had a little bit higher of an expectation. So maybe that's why that kind of that underwhelming um, feeling comes into play. I think they went a little heavy handed with that metallic gold thing. I, uh, I think that the jerseys would be significantly better if they didn't have that everywhere. I like the alternate is really well regarded out of the three, I think, from the immediate fan reaction that I've seen. And I feel like that's mainly because you don't see any of that metallic gold. And then there's also the fact that there's a discrepancy with the number of stripes in the sleeves versus the uh, the middle of the jersey. Um, I love the jerseys personally. I like all three of them. They're very creative. I think it, it maybe Adidas went a little too, like, let's get fucking wild with them. Um I think you, you you get rid of the metallic gold, use the normal Bruins gold, trim down on the, the stripes, mm-hmm. give me gold socks, not black socks. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a winner. But um, they just went a little too far. It'll be fun for these. Like I previously, when I first heard the rumors of the New Jersey's and I heard what they were going to be based on, I was like, I don't want these to be a one-year thing. I want these to be the new kit moving forward. This sounds awesome. But now that I've seen what they've done, I'd much prefer this just to be a one-off unless they want to tweak things further. But uh, yeah, go back to the old kit and ditch these after this year, please for right yeah. now. Yep. I agree with you. And you know, I, if I have to pick my favorite, I'm kind of with that fan reaction. It's definitely the alternate. I think it has more of an old school feel to it. Um, kind of dating back into, you know, their, you know, the sixties and the seventies when they, when, you know, they had some of their, some of their glory days. I like the, I, I personally like the logo the best. I like how they have, you know, the, um, the, the, you know, the, the date of the, that the franchise was started in the spoked B. I, I kind of don't like that. There's only a patch on one shoulder. 
I, I think it just it, it seems like it's a little bit of an off balance, if that if that makes sense. I believe uh, in symmetry. They could have yes. done another patch over there. It's not like it clutters up the jersey at all. I mean, it's not like you're putting it on the front of the jersey where you already got the sponsor and you're going to have guys with you know A's and C's on there. So, uh, again, just just underwhelmed. Don't hate it. Don't love it. We'll see. Like as the season goes on, maybe they're going to grow on me. I'm kind of one of those guys that when I see them in use, that you know, I, they they tend to grow on me. That's that's usually the the way it is with a lot of the sports uniforms that that I've seen in use, like the Patriots jerseys, you know, uh, the Bruins, even in the past, some of the, uh, like the 2010 winter classic one, when I first came out, I hated it. I was not like, I was like, what's this logo? And you know, the color, I was like, this doesn't look like a Bruins jersey. And then as the years kind of go on, I, it, it, I grew fond of it. So hmm. it, it, time usually heals most of those things for me. That's kind of how I, how I view it. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, even though I have my criticism of the jerseys, I am still a avid jersey collector, and um, I have reached out to uh, um, my buddy. Uh, he runs a business called Sports Stitches by Ben, and so he does jersey customizations. Um, I'm going to shout him out right now. No, no business affiliation here. They're not sponsoring anything here. Uh, I just want to give him a shout out here because he makes some really cool products. Um, you can find him on Instagram at sports stitches. Um, but yeah, he hooked me up with a Linus Allmark home centennial sweater and a Milan Lucic centennial alternate sweater. That's going to be on its way here. Hopefully for the end of October before I, uh, I'm heading out to a regular season game for the first time this year. That's awesome. Yeah. Is there a reason you went with the, uh, you know, with your buddy versus just trying to order them from the team? Is it because he, he customizes them a little bit? Is that is that how it works? Yeah. So if I bought them through the pro shop, they would have been like uh, 170 each blank. Um, oh, wow. And they didn't offer Linus Olmark or Milan Lucic. I don't understand what is up with the Boston pro shop. If you order directly, you only have a choice of like five players. So this year it was Coil. Um, DeBrusque, Marchand, Pasternak, uh, McAvoy, and they only are offering Swayman jerseys, not Linus Olmark. I cannot find the logic in that at all. There's I mean, I think no we, we talked about it, I think, on the last, last episode I was on with you that we want to see the historical aspect of this. We want to see other players that can, you know, they can make, like you said, it's going to be a, be a gold mine. For, for the Boston Bruins, if they start offering, you know, Bobby Orr, Ray Bork, you know, Cam Neely, Tuka Rask, uh, you know, all these alternate, alternate historical players, that would be, that would be something that would attract me to spend money on a Jersey. I mean, right now, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not rushing out to buy any of the, you know, the jerseys, but I mean, if you show me a, you know, historical player from, you know, we'll, we'll call it like my childhood, I'll be all over that. That's something I'm a very nostalgic person. That would be something I'd be all about. Yeah. And I think that they dropped the ball on that there too. I will say that if you like buying authentic jerseys and, and cost is not a, um, an, an obstacle for you. Coolhockey.com is a great reference, uh, or a great, uh, source. Um, I actually bought my Lindholm Jersey, uh, next to me from, cool hockey the day that the trade happened 
and they were able to sew everything on on an authentic prime green sweater get it out to me it was like 280 bucks but um the quality is is top notch so um and they'll do any name in number combination so they they sent out an email to everybody and they were like hey um the centennial jerseys just dropped we're taking orders on them what names would you be interested in and it was the full roster that was available and then on top of it to your point it's like other names were there like esposito or bork um busick all these like really legendary players so i feel like sometimes these third-party websites that have affiliations with the nhl do a better job than what the direct sales team does for the teams like how could they not offer the you know the most recent retired captain you can't tell me that people would run out and spend a lot of money on a bergeron jersey with the c on it like why wouldn't you want i, I feel like like an alternate any one of these three jerseys they, they would make gold off that it just like i said it, it, the logic doesn't seem right to me maybe it'll come down the line who knows I don't know if they've announced if they're going to just offer. I can't imagine they're just going to offer five jerseys for the, you know, the duration of this whole thing. That, that would be stupid. You're going to see all the other players eventually, you know, be available once, you know, the dust settles on the announcement, but show me the historical guys. That's what I want to see. Yeah, my only thing is that I, I don't, and, and I say this slightly hypocritically because I have a Cam Neely Jersey. That's, not from his era but um i don't i don't like the concept of like getting a bobby or jersey in this format when it's not a jersey that he ever wore during his career you know what i mean i yeah i want the jerseys that i have of a player to represent their era so um i don't think i would ever really do the alumni thing unless they came out with Kind of like what Mitchell and Ness does, like the throwback jerseys, yeah. where it's just a replica of what they were. Like if they just came out with a full line of those again and just like maybe throw the centennial patch on the shoulder of those jerseys. Like that's that, a, that's a free it. fucking marketing idea for you there, Bruins. Like yeah. you'll hear from my people if you do this and you yeah. take my idea. That 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 makes that's that see, that's logical. That's a logical uh marketing idea they should take they, they should take that idea and run with it and give you a cut for that because they i get that would be very that that'd be a gold mine too i feel like like really we're do. we're leaning into the whole history and legacy of this franchise right that's the whole point of the centennial celebration and it seems like they just have this magnifying glass on like what their uniform has looked like and not the overall legacy of the franchise and and what is the legacy of the boston bruins franchise if not all of these amazing defensemen that we've ever had Mm -hmm. and and some of these awesome forwards and you know jerry cheevers and and you know all these other guys and and they're kind of just being left by the wayside and i don't want to say ignored because the team does do a good job to you know and keep them involved and the alumni group does a good job but you know the marketing teams and adidas just seem to have forgotten these things yep i totally agree i mean i I think i read something that the boston bruins i think have the most like uniform setups in the league like they they seem to have they released so many different jerseys and i don't think there was any other team close i i'd have to look up and find the data on it but i saw i saw that and i was like 
that, that, that makes perfect sense because you think about even in the last 10 years, how many different, you know, third jerseys they've had and, you know, the reverse retros and the winter classics. They, they, they have so many different different jerseys that they've, that they've worn at some point in the last in the last 10 years, let alone the last 100 years, you know. So they seem like they have a lot to choose from where all they got to do is put a little patch on the shoulder. There you go. Charge full price for the jersey. Bam. Call it the Rafters collection. Every every player that you've retired a number of, grab those jerseys, create them, throw that patch on the shoulder. Bam. You can even charge your stupid $200 per jersey. Mm-hmm. You're going to get them sold, and they will make you bank. Because um, and- I'm starting to get to the age where I'm like, all right, like I'm going to get a jersey, and this guy's like 10 years younger than me. This is starting <laughs> yeah, yeah. to get a little weird. And, yeah, I don't know. They can, they can stick the two pad stack logo on the bottom corner of the rear of the jersey, very small, or like on the inside as kind of an ode to the two pad stack podcast. I came up with the idea. Yeah, like it with a QR code to our transistor website. Yeah, get us some clicks at least, Bruins. Come on. We don't need money. Just give us the clicks. <laughs> yeah, just, we uh, we operate in just exposure. That's how you can compensate us. Um, yeah, so I wanted to make sure we could touch on these jerseys. Um, one thing, I watched the Ice Aesthetics, which is a great resource for you if you want to learn about you know, the overall jersey design and uniforms in the NHL. I think they cover hockey in general, not just the NHL, but they focus on the NHL. Um, the one thing that they mentioned in, in all of these reveals, we haven't seen helmets yet. So I'm interested in knowing if we're going to end up with like uh, a brown helmet for the alternate or if they're going to do white or black or what they're going to do there. Um, and then the same thing on the home and away is what they're going to be doing with those. Could you imagine that they had a gold, a shiny gold helmet? Oh, no. Uh, no. Like the Vegas Golden Knights, like no. where if they do something like that, man, I'm going to lose it. I it's think like, that is one of the ugliest helmets I've ever seen. It's like shiny gold. It's distracting when you're watching the game. It's between it's that and and the Vegas or um, the LA like silver chrome domes. Yeah. Have it's you the seen same those thing. ones? Yeah. yeah. It's like. You're, it's I, I'm trying to watch a hockey game here, and I got this shiny thing reflecting at me. It's it's ridiculous, and maybe I'm sounding like an old man when I'm talking about this, but like, just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Brown. If you're gonna do a gold helmet keep, or a yellow helmet, just keep it without the shiny aspect to it, the metallic. That way, we don't have to sit there and and you know be distracted watching a game by thinking like these helmets. Why are they doing this? It's so stupid. I, 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 I'm telling you, it, it drives me nuts watching the game. It drives me nuts. So they better you. not do something stupid like that. At least if they're going to do like gimmicky shit like that, like, you know how the Swedish Elite League does it? Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen their helmets. So they take, so they have normal helmets just with ads all over them. Mm-hmm. But the leading scorer for each team gets the special chrome helmet to indicate that they're the leading scorer. That's interesting. Yeah, it's so like, like each... putting a target on your back. Yeah, that's my thought. Like, yeah, you've got like a big ass predatory defenseman out there, and he's like, "Oh yeah, shiny helmet's coming. Let's take him out, and we take get their top scorer out." But imagine Pasternak wearing that. Thing. Imagine Pasternak yeah. wearing that and just getting absolutely bundled every game. No, he, I could see him chirping people though, and be like, "Yeah, I have shiny helmet because I'm better than you," or something like that. <laughs> You'll never have a shiny helmet. <laughs> yeah. 
especially like a tree trunk defenseman yeah <laughs> oh yeah dude it would be hilarious and then uh something else that i kind of like is at the ncaa level there's some teams that like uh bu you know i think it's when a player scores a goal they get like the paw print sticker on the helmet yeah um and then they just keep adding the stickers as they get more goals and by the end of the fucking like season the helmet's just covered in stickers with paw prints which is really really kind of cool i think but it's subtle. Like, little things i mean we're goalies dude we love customizing things oh, and, yeah. and and getting our own flavor on things and when things are a little different than uh you know vanilla usual i really really kind of enjoy that for hockey absolutely and even like something as subtle as putting a sticker on the helmet i mean it may not put a target on your back as as much as you know having a helmet that sticks out but like if you see you're going down the ice you see somebody that's got a ton of ton of stickers on your helmet you know they they're having a really good year they pay a little bit extra attention to them agreed so. agreed all right well we do have the um we have a really good interview with Ty Anderson right now so we're going to go ahead and throw it over to that and then uh we will uh bring it back to you guys for closing remarks so um bring it bringing you guys right over to ty right now yeah so welcome back into the two pad stack podcast we've got a, an awesome guest joining us here today um ty anderson from 98.5 the sports hub is with us i'm going to be talking a little bit of a uh, little bit of hockey a little bit of his career and we'll see where the conversation goes how's it going ty thanks for joining us hey what's going on thanks for having me absolutely absolutely so i know you were a little busy today you were over at captain's practice right Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, today was the uh, third of three. Finally, next time we're back in that building, and they're on the ice, it's going to be you know for real. Training camp will will have officially started. That should be on Thursday morning. Uh, so today was kind of the final wrap up day uh, of of captain's practice. Uh, a few new faces welcome back. Uh, you know, on the ice, Pasternak was there. Danton Heinen was there. Um, so kind of this was sort of like the last you know, coach free drill free kind of session for these guys. And, uh, I think they're all kind of ready to go now. I think, and you know, myself included in, in that respect. Yeah. It's about to be the silly season. There's going to be a, a lot of activity going on between training camp, watching the roster cuts, PTO guys, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm really intrigued of, you know, I'm really kind of curious what your thoughts are on kind of what the bottom six may look like. I mean, I know there's still a lot of things that need to be figured out, but, you know, the top six seems to be pretty well defined with Coach Montgomery coming out and saying, you know, who he's kind of planning on riding with Zaka and Coyle. But where do you kind of see the bottom six shaking out? It's a really great question because I think that you probably have about realistically 12 to 13 guys fighting for six spots, seven spots. If you want to include the thir the 13th forward there, um, I would say that right now, I, I think, you know, two thirds of your third line, it's going to be Trent Frederick and Morgan geeky. And it's just a matter of who else is playing with them. You know, is that Jacob Lauko? Is that Danton Heinen? Um, you know, is it Jesper Boquist? Can a young guy pop, you know, a Georgie Merk Merkulov, a, a Fabian Lysel, like, I, so I think, you know, two, three, two, you know, two thirds of that third line, you know, Lucic is going to be on the fourth line. And then it really, it's about, okay, who else fits in there? I mean, for me, I think that, you know, to counteract Milan Lucic, I think he wants some speed on the right wing. So I think naturally Lauko makes sense there. Um, I get the sense though, that the Bruins want to see Lauko prove himself. I think that's why they're bringing in all these PTOs. I think that's why they've made so many depth moves, um, you know, namely, you know, Jason Megna, Patrick Brown, um, 
you know, Anthony Richard, like they're bringing in these guys who you look at and you say, okay, are they a full-time NHLer? No, probably yeah. not. But they're a guy that you look at and say, could they have a strong camp and push somebody, you know, down the lineup? So I think it's kind of interesting the way that they're approaching this camp is that, you know, it's going to be a relentless competition. And really, I think there's no excuse not to reward the guys who truly earn the jobs. I mean, listen, Bergeron's gone. Krejci's gone. We know this, right? So this team is about, I think, merit. It's about who earns it. And so I don't want to see anybody have a bad camp and make this team because, oh, they're a veteran. Oh, they have this contract. Right. No, no. That, those days are over, man. Like, you got to find out what you have. And if certain guys outwork other guys, I think it should be telling. And I think they should earn those minutes, especially with what you're talking about here. This bottom six, you know, competition out the, you know, out the window here. You got 13 guys, basically, who could all make it. So I, I think it's a good sign for the Bruins. But I want to see the right guys get rewarded at the end of the day. Yeah, I 100% agree. And something that we were talking about here in the primetime sports um, Slack, we were discussing, you know, maybe, you know, a fourth line of what you had already alluded to, Lucic and Laugo. But what if, what about a guy like John Beecher making it as the 4C? And I know that the, uh, the Providence coaching staff has had nothing but, you know, great things to say about his game coming along. I really think with those two players, Lauko, maybe a little less on the Lauko side, but they would really benefit from a, uh, a play driver. And I think that Beecher's size and speed could really, you know, fit in well with that fourth line. Could, could you see Beecher making it out of camp this year? You know, I could. And I, I'm dying to know what strides he's made, if any, at the faceoff game. You know, I, I like because that's something that they they lost this year. You know, Tomas Nosek was one of the best face-off guys in the league last year. And as a lefty shot, you look at who's here now as a left-handed face-off option. It's Pavel Zaka, who's sub-50%, and it's Trent Frederick, who's really never had a strong showing at the dot in his career. So they kind of have that need. They have the need for a lefty face-off option to emerge. And if it's Johnny Beecher, that's great because Johnny Beecher is also six foot three. You know, he has a ton of, uh, you know, ton of skating you know, to his game in terms of the speed element that he can bring, you know, if he can be, you know, a souped up version of Sean Corrali, you'll take that at this point, you know, with, with his age and his experience. I know it's not what you want to hear for a guy you draft in the first round, but if he could be a Sean Corrali type, win some key draws, kill some penalties, use his speed to move up and down the lineup, I think you'd take that. So I think he's going to get a chance here. You know, I think what's telling for me, man, is like, who do these guys skate with on day one, right? Like last year, two years ago, rather, Chris Wagner was skating with guys that we knew were going to be in the minors. And it's like not a great sign, you know, like that, like you always want to know who they're skating with on day one, because that's going to be their line for about the first half of the preseason, you know, more or less. So I want to see who he skates with, because I do think that at this point, you know, like I was saying, it's been four years now since you took him with the first round pick. You got to see what he's got, you know, like, like, so I want to see it, put him with some NHLers and see if he got something there. But I think the biggest thing for him would be his face off game. If he comes in and he's winning 55% of his draws, like that's, that's your pathway. That's how he would make this team in my opinion. Yeah. Get those important minutes, defensive zone draws, PK time, that kind of stuff. And you can carve out an NHL career. You're never going to be. I, I don't want to. I don't want to say never. Let me preface that. But right. I, I don't. I don't project Johnny Beecher ever being a top six option at the NHL level. 
you know, I think he could develop into that good possession player, maybe third line C, like a Charlie Coyle in his future. But um, but yeah, I, I don't see it right now. Right. And I think they kind of drafted him with that idea. You know, you always hate hearing that, right? When they draft guys and they say, oh, we're sealing his third line. Well, sometimes Trent they're being Frederick. honest. Yeah, sometimes they're being honest, right? But, you know, a great third liner, if you get him at 31 overall, 30 overall, like, that's fine. It's fine based yeah. on, you know, where you're drafting in that spot. Yeah, would you love Kaliev? Of course, of course. But, you know, you can't you can't go back and redo that. So now, if he comes in as a fourth liner and he works his way up to being, you know, a fringe 3C, it's like, okay. You'll take that because that that beats the alternative of always being in the minors and never seeing mm-hmm. or hearing from the guy. So I, I want to see him get a run here. You know, there are, there are a few guys that I just think like at a certain point, you got to take the kids, the, the training wheels off and see if they can fly, you know, like and yeah. he he's in that group for me. And it's kind of interesting because he only played, I think, what, 70 games in the AHL, but you've been waiting for him for so long. It feels like, well, he spent like, did he do all four years? At Michigan, he, he did three, I think. Three. But okay. but but even so, like most guys, it feels like nowadays do two. But at max, yeah. You know, there's a player in the organization who, when he did go pro, reaching out, talking to people who saw him a lot in college, they kind of said, "Ooh, he needs another year. Like he needs another year." And you know, I I think that that's something that you know sometimes it's good to stay that extra year and, and kind of skate in a role that. I don't know, might be your NHL role. Well, I mean, look at his final year in Michigan. He was bottom six because they brought in all right. that young talent. I mean, that's kind of what he's going to be probably at this level. So maybe that did help him and get him maybe better acclimated to what it's going to be like in the pros. And that's weird to say playing in CAA, I know, but like in terms of what he has to do well to stick, right? And well, so it's almost, I want to see that. It's almost like a different mindset you need to have when you're in a bottom six role. You know, you're a role player. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to label you as a grinder, but your responsibilities are different. The 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 mantle of responsibility to fill the net is not necessarily yours. Now, anything you get on that front is gravy, but your job is to, you know, mitigate the offensive chances going the other way, you know, wear down the opposition, the defenders, all that good stuff. So I, I think maybe that time, like, like you were alluding to uh, at Michigan when he was in that bottom six role, would be beneficial for that mindset and could maybe, you know, yield some positive results in this upcoming camp. I mean, and, and think about it this way, you know, every bottom six player in this league was at one point, the best player in their league, in their hometown growing up, you know, like that's how they made it to this point. Right. And so there is that part that, you know, you're mentioning, like settling into what you do well, like Tomas Nosek, we, who we just talked about, put up 60 points in 40 something games uh, on the U 20 team that he played for back in the, back in the check. Like it, 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 but that's not what he is at this level. Right. And so like you, you have to kind of swallow your pride a little bit, figure out what it is you do well and excel there. And I think certain guys, you know, the guys you see have long careers, they know how to do that and they do that. And so Johnny Beecher, I mean, this is kind of his chance. I don't think that he wants to put a ceiling on himself, but he knows what his strengths are. He knows his D zone. He knows his face-offs. He knows it's, his speed. Uh, now he's going to work on those other things. He's going to work on offensive zone, you know, front of the net tipping, you know, power play if he gets those minutes, but he knows his bread and butter and his pathway are the things that we're talking about. Yeah. Agreed. Well, let's go ahead and pivot here. I'm interested in talking a little bit about kind of what you've done. I know that you sometimes go and speak to some, some classes at a local uh, educational institution um, about, you know, journalism and stuff. But 
I, I, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I've kind of followed you along. I've really enjoyed your content for a long time. I'm a giant bees fan, as everyone knows, but um, you know, you, you've got some of the best content out there. It's always very uh, unbiased and objective and, you know, you have your kind of ears to the wall. So I, I know that you had also kind of alluded to the fact that, you know, you got to just kind of take the opportunities as they come. So how did you kind of get started in this line of work? And and was it with Hockey Buzz? I'm going to throw that at you. Yeah, yeah, actually. Well, thank you for the kind words, first of all. Um, it's amazing that I've been able to do this and I feel stupidly lucky and I appreciate every every read, every click, everything, every listen, everything. It's It's been really amazing. Um yeah, I got started actually before Hockey Buzz. I was with this uh, website called Hockey Independent, which is no longer a website. Uh, it was launched by the old Hockey Buzz blogger at, he was the Hockey Buzz Islanders blogger um, for a long time. His name was BD Galoff, a uh, great guy, um, still friends with him on social media and whatnot. Uh, and he launched his own thing. And so I jumped in with them. I was about 17 years old. Um, no press pass, but I was treating it like I did. You know, I was treating it like it was a real thing. I was making time every day to write at least one story. Um, readership was good. Numbers were good. Uh, and then in 2010, I interviewed with Hockey Buzz. Um, with, you know, interviewed for that job. Ended up getting it. And, you know, I was 18 years old. And it was the first time I had a press pass and was able to cover the team, cover practices, you know, all that. And I was really fortunate because that was the year they won the Stanley cup. And so, you know, I, I'm 19, I'm 18, 19 years old covering the Stanley cup winning team. I, I mean, and it was just like the perfect kind of timing, I think in a lot of respects, because I was able to kind of really learn stuff that would take years to learn because it was just, Hey, you're in this now, you know, figure it out, sink or swim. Um, and so I was able to kind of cultivate a nice little following at hockey buzz. Um, but then I, you know, you kind of, you kept looking for work, right? Because it wasn't full time. Um, it was yeah. a couple hundred a month and it was great, but it wasn't full time. So, you know, I was kind of always trying to parlay it into something bigger. Uh, I had, I had a little bit of a run with the new England hockey journal as well, helping out with their coverage, both on the web and in print, um, and then in 2016 is kind of, I think where I got my big break, so to speak, I, I got the job at WEI, um, working under Rob Bradford and that staff as their new Bruins guy, DJ had left and gone to, uh, NBC sports Boston at that point. And they said, Hey, we need a Bruins writer. Um, uh, so I jumped into that right away. And, and, uh, I think it was me and a few other people, but you know, they brought me in one night, uh, to do some radio. Uh, I think it was like October I want to say like 20th or something. It was the first night of the NHL season, you know, and they're like, Hey, you want to do radio? And I, I had never done anything like that before in my life, yeah. you know, like, I, like never. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know? And I just jumped in and I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to make this work. And, um, you know, we did an hour of radio. I have no idea if it was good. I don't want to hear it. Uh, like if, I, <laughs> if it exists, I don't want to hear it. Um, but it was great. You know, a week later, Rob calls me and says, Hey, we want to offer you the job. And, um, it was great. Cause it was, you know, it was almost six years. Yeah. It was over six years at that point of kind of grinding and, you know, finding different avenues and different odd jobs to make money. Um, in addition to the writing that was like, okay, great. And I still had to work those, some of those odd jobs, but, um, that was kind of the big break. And, you know, I was with them for less than two years. Um, I loved my time there. I, I really did. I loved the website. I thought it was an, an absolutely awesome website. They didn't love hockey necessarily, but, they gave me my corner and they let me do my thing. 
Rob was a guy who would call me almost every day and we'd talk, we'd flesh out ideas, uh, which was super beneficial for me at that point as a 23, 24 year old who kind of just needed to figure out, Hey, what is my voice? You know, like what, like, what is my style? What is this? And what is your um, brand? Right. Right. And he was super helpful with that. And I, you know, to this day, I, I can't thank him enough for that opportunity, but it wasn't full time. And so I was, I was doing that and I was bartending and waiting tables, um, on the side and, and, or, you know, doing whatever other job kind of came my way. Uh, and so basically what happened is in 2018, I, I said to, uh, I said to, you know, EI like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta be made full time. And they said, you know, sorry, (laughs) sorry, we can't do that. And, um, I kind of heard through the grapevine that, the sports hub was launching their own website and they were looking for writers. So a bit of backdoor communication, sorry to say to EI people, if they're listening now, but we had a little bit of back channel communication where uh, I said, I'd be interested in coming over if you guys are, if you guys are down and it was a natural fit because at EEI, my role kind of changed. And by the end mm-hmm. of it, I was covering the Bruins, the Celtics and the Patriots and mm-hmm. 98.5 has the Bruins, the Celtics and the Patriots. So it made it a really good fit. Um, and then I signed on with them in April, 2018 and been there since. Um, and you know, for me, it's about continuing to find new levels and, and get better at, you know, X, Y, and Z every year I come with a checklist and say, I got to get better at these two things, or I want to do this thing this year. And then if I can do it, that's great. If I can't, I go back to the drawing board and realize, you know, figure out why I couldn't do that. So I think that's another thing that I've liked about the sports hub is that they kind of give me my own corner. They let me do what I want mm-hmm. and, you know, they help when they can, but I don't feel like I don't have the tools to do what I want to do. And, and I think that's kind of what it is for me. Cause I'm, I am a self-starter. I want to do things the way I want to do them. Um, or I want to just experiment and, and be like, okay, that failed, but at least I failed on my own idea. Um, right. But so that's, I, I'm super appreciative of them for that. Like that's been five and a half years now of, basically just you know what we trust you do your thing which is which has been great for me uh as someone who just you know i don't want to be micromanaged i want to find out and speak to the audience and hear what the audience wants and give them what they want versus what someone in a boardroom you know thousands of miles away is saying you got to do so i think that's one thing i've really grown to appreciate with 98.5 that's cool dude yeah i mean i've had a few people that are like oh if you're gonna have tie on you gotta ask him about the whole felger thing so yeah uh anybody want to know <laughs> yeah yeah well my co-host burst who couldn't join us today he's like my favorite gif of all time and i call it gif for the record yeah it's GIF. okay um <laughs> he's like my favorite gif of all time is the one where ty walks up to the glass recording studio and he just flips off felger and he's got the picture of rask yeah uh yeah that was a good one i wish i got my last laugh with that you know, if they close a deal in that game seven, I have that living on in infamy forever. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think it still should. But but, you know, I, I didn't get the I didn't finish the story on that one, unfortunately. Um, yeah, listen, I think that Mike and I look at things very differently, um, to say the least. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that I think that he's a bit detached from how things were. I think that he still thinks it's like 1999, you know, when he covered mm-hmm. the team and you can just walk up to the GM and start arguing. You can't really do that anymore. Um, no. 
I mean, listen, Donnie we, will shut you down and not talk to you anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I listen, I already kind of have that relationship with him. You know, I like <laughs> I don't really you know, Don Sweeney and I are not exactly like pen pals. Like we like we've had some testy exchanges over the years. Um, oh, I've seen him. Yeah, it's, those, it's, those press it's, conferences. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, but but it's different, right? Like your access now is a lot different than it was back when he was on the beat. And I don't know if he necessarily understands that. You know, he has this idea that, you know, there are writers like me who want to be friends with the players. I don't think that's true at all. I I, I don't. Uh, they're not my friends. They are people that I have to work with. And they like we're friendly. Yeah. You don't want to have an adversarial relationship with someone you see almost every day. But it's not like I don't I don't go out of my way to report, you know, nonsense because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. I, I just think that we do the job differently. I, I think that. You can't be a screaming, talking head on the radio and cover the team, like, honestly. I don't think you can do those. I think those two things are very different, personally. Agreed. And I think that that's kind of what people fail to realize. Like, when people on Twitter chirp me, oh, you guys never ask the hard questions. You never do this. No, go back and watch the Mitchell Miller press conference. Go back and watch when they fired, you know, Bruce Cassidy. We were grilling them. But mm-hmm. we can't grill them about the 2015 NHL draft every time we see them. That's kind of stupid, don't you think? It, like, they all know it sucks. So, like, yeah. that's the part that I always kind of laugh at. It's like, yeah, they know that ga- giving David back his $30 million was a bad idea. Like, they know that now. What am I supposed to do? What, what do you want me to do every day? Go, hey, you did that, by the way. That was stupid. It's like, yeah, man, I know. Like, they know. We all know. Right. And so, you know, I, I think that with Felger and I – um, did we have a falling out? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but I don't like the way that he's, he's handled a lot of what I've said and reported this summer. Um, and that's fine. Um, but I don't like the whole idea that, you know, I, I, I don't report things because I want to be friends with the players. That's not true. I purposely do not ask for players numbers or personal information because I, I think that you're that not there to be friends. Line. Right. Yeah. But when I tell you, that, hey, listen, uh, Taylor Hall's trade market should have been better, but it wasn't because the cap. And you turn around and go, I, I just don't believe that. What do you want me to do? Like, I, like, I'm telling you that these things that you think are real are not real. And you can either believe them or not. But it, just because you don't believe them doesn't mean that I'm bad at my job. So I think that's kind of where, you know, my problems have kind of been with him. Um, mm-hmm. I never said Taylor Hall was an amazing player, but I just said that you shouldn't give him away. Which Agreed. I think that's a fair, that's a fair take. I don't know why that wouldn't be, but you know, again, it speaks to the greater kind of disconnect. I feel that oftentimes sports radio has with actual sports media in terms of how Mm -hmm. the job is, is done and, and you know, what we know versus what we can report and what they know versus what they think, you know, I think those sometimes are different things, you know, like, and I remember you coming out and tweeting very plainly, you know, you, you said, I am not an insider. I never pretend right. to be an insider. When I have something to report, I will report it. And I think that's a big differentiator between reporting and, and sports talk. And let's also take another step back and acknowledge the fact that sports talk radio in Boston, especially is like a bigger beast than any other market in North America. I feel like it is yeah. completely different from any other market that I've been into. I've been in New York, which is pretty big, but it's not as big as Boston. I think, um, I've been in Tampa. It's almost non-existent down in that area. It's um, it's just completely different. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that 
you know, I, I think that what happens is, and this isn't to like throw shade at anyone I work with or anyone in the industry. Yeah, definitely. I do think that 95% of our attention is, is focused on the Patriots. Now you look at the Patriots, their media beat, right? You got 50 something reporters covering that one team, right? And so naturally a lot of the attention shifts towards shifts towards the NFL the Patriots, uh, life after Tom Brady, life with Bill Belichick, all of that. So what happens is I feel like some of the other sports, you know, basketball, hockey, even baseball to a certain degree, they take a backseat. And then when they are forced to talk about these topics, their information or their knowledge is a little bit outdated, right? Like, and I found that with Mike and I've said that to him before, like, because he thinks that, you know, 4 million is too much. And I'm like, dude, you're looking at the 2017 salary cap. Like right. you're not, it's you're not paying different. attention. Right. And so I think that's something that kind of people struggle with to a certain degree. Um, and that's what kind of sparks the, the, I think, I think the maybe miscommunication is a good way to describe it, but like, think about it this way. People watch the NFL, no matter, no matter what game is on, like your as your average casual fan will watch whatever NFL game is on, on Sunday because it's Sunday and they want to watch, the game they'll watch the, the the Monday night game because they want to watch the Monday night football game. How many people, you, you know, your average casual sports fan are doing that with the NHL? Probably not as many, right? So they are watching the Bruins and not many other teams. And, and, and again, it's not a knock. There's only 24 hours in a day. We all have lives. We have kids, all of that. So I find personally that people only watch the Bruins and then they form their thoughts on the league around what happens when those teams play the Bruins. And so like people Agreed. think Danny, Danny Vladar is this amazing superstar piece that got away because he had a shutout against the Bruins two years ago. They don't realize that he's had an eight ninety basically the last two seasons. Right. And like, he could be good. I'm not saying he's bad, but people think he's this great goaltender and they should have wrote, they should have rode with Omar uh, with Swayman and Vladar because of that one good game. and But people like me, I watch Calgary late night quite a bit. I know that he has massive holes in his game. And so I think that's that's an example of the, like the disconnect where it's like, why can't you just do that? Well, that's not a good idea. And then people like me try to speak on why these ideas are bad and we just get shouted down as being homers or in bed with the team. And it's like, all right. You're, you're condescending or something along those right, lines. Right, right. And I never want to be like that. Like, like right. Like I, it's funny. I, I think I often say back to people like on Twitter when they argue with me, I'm like, Hey man, I'm saying this with no malice. How much of this player have you seen outside of the Bruins games? Because like, I, I think that like, I want to provide you with context as to why you think this guy is that great, but he's actually not, you know, and things of that nature. So, uh, but yeah, no, uh, when it comes to being an insider, I don't like the game. I used to play the game and I don't like it. I don't like when you are compromised and you can't report uh, that a player had a bad game because you're friends with his agent. I didn't like that. I, I thought that was a really kind of shitty way to exist. Um, you know, like, so, it, it, so are there like little, you know, under the table agreements with player agents that they'll feed you info. If you are like filtering some of the content that goes out, uh, there can be, yeah. Like there can be, um, you know, an example was a guy was playing horrible. And I just said, he's playing horrible. He has one goal in 30 games. Like, this is this is not what they paid for. This is not good. And, you know, I get kind of a snippy email from the agent saying, hey, you know, I saw this tweet. You know, 
there's a lot more behind this than you think. And it's like, dude, you got to let me report just the numbers here. Like, like how are we going to spin the numbers? Right. Like, and that's when you be, that's when you be, you can become compromised. So that's why I got out of that game. I, I, you know, it was helpful for a little while, but I just didn't, I didn't like the game. I didn't like the idea of compromising my own opinions, you know, my own sort of beliefs, if you will. So uh, I don't play the insider game. If I get something, it's because it's double sourced or it's from the player himself. Um, and sometimes that leads you astray. Like, like I had that, I did a TV spot before game one against Florida, where they said, what do you think's going on with Bergeron? And I said, I think it's an illness because two players said illness. The GM said illness. The coach said illness. Now I think they were covering their own asses, you know, looking back on it and they, they were being protective of the player, which I respect but I took that at face value. So like mm-hmm. there are times where not having those sources or not running with it can kind of burn you, but I'll take that over, you know, throwing shit at the wall. I, I don't believe in that. I never want to do that. And that's kind of how I am with it. I can respect that, man. And that's why I always know the stuff that comes out from you is legit and you don't have to like really speculate or anything, you know, is this actually the case? Cause I mean, when it blows up in your face and you have, you know, you have come out and said something's happening and that it doesn't happen. Everybody's going to point the finger at you and be like, look at this guy. He got it wrong. And right. the, the prime example I can think of with that, and it's probably the reason why I'm blocked by him on Twitter today, was Aaron Ward when he came out and said, again, let a Boston is done. And he yeah. probably had the same thing. He probably went out there and confirmed with his sources. I mean, all in, all, I mean, you hear about the story. It basically was done, but again, let nixed it. But I mean, I definitely roasted the guy on so I, I shouldn't do that. You know, I find myself saying things I shouldn't on social. Everybody does. But uh, Aaron Ward went on a blocking spree after that event. And he, he's still very active in, in, you know, the podcast scene and media. And I can't see any of the content from this one thing I said like 10 years ago, which is hilarious now. Oh, it happens. I try to mute more than I try to block. Um, I only block if you like go personal. That's just kind of like a weird thing where that if you're just like, if you use my mentions as a way to like get your follower accounts up or get your engagement up, I'm like, nope, out of here. Not doing that. Um, but yeah, for the most part, like I, I, I think muting is better than blocking. But in this line of work, you will have things that blow up in your face. You will have things that go wrong and that's that's why i you know i always double source i i I always double source if i can uh rarely if ever will i run with a single source and when i do it's because it's from that player directly right or that that gm directly um you know but but i will not i will not uh single source anything anymore because i've been burned a couple times uh but i but i strive to have that you know I want to be in the plus. I don't want to be a minus player. So that's kind of where I'm at with that when it comes to reporting things. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So, I mean, from the time that you've covered the team, I, I feel like the Bruins have had like an unparalleled success in the position of goaltending. And I'm curious of your thoughts on that. I mean, the podcast is named Two Pad Stack because I'm a former goaltender myself. I played throughout high school and the beer league. And my co-host who couldn't join us, he's uh, he still plays men's league. So we have a... Uh, a rather um, focused opinion regarding the position of goalie. So I, I'm very interested in, in your perspective. Um, in the last 10, 12 years, I mean, between all the fantastic names that have come through the crease, 
Do you think a lot of that is attributed to Bob Asenza, or do you think we've just had a crazy amount of luck in Boston? I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, you look at back, you look sort of through like the, you know, the history with Bob Asenza. I mean, he's made guys like Chad Johnson, you know, he's put them back on the map. You know, Yaroslav Halak came here after basically bottoming out, you know, with the Islanders and came here and was, was great. Anton Hudobin was great. Um, so I think, I think that he has a, a massive hand in that, but I also think that they found a system that works for them with that being a 1A and a 1B kind of setup. You look at their best seasons, they've always had, you know, a very strong tandem versus just that one ace, right? And the years they tried it going with the one ace with Tuca, they didn't make the playoffs because he got burnt out both times. You know, like he, they, they had to ride him both times and they realized, no, we need to have two good goaltenders. And so, you know, I think with certain guys, I think it's, a, it's you know, listen, the luck that comes with, you know, them finding Jeremy Swayman in the fourth round is, is, you know, that you can't discount that, right? Like there, there's an element there that's very important. And, you know, it's kind of funny because when that draft happened, I was banging the table saying, get Ottinger, get Ottinger. Well, they found a good guy, you know, maybe he's not Ottinger, but they found a good one in the fourth round. So, so there's value in that, you know, but you kind of have to have things kind of bounce your way a little bit, you know, who, who could have predicted Tim Thomas being what he was, you know, the Bruins get their pick between Justin Pogge and, and Tuka Rask and they take Tuka Rask, you, you know, like, there's luck. There's an element of luck there, but yep. I, I do think between Asenza and even Mike Dunham, uh, I, I do think that they have a, a, a system and a structure that really plays to their goaltender strengths. You know, this Linus Allmark that we've seen in Boston, I never saw this Linus Allmark in Buffalo. You know, the three years we saw of him in Buffalo, I never saw this guy. I never saw the guy that we've seen the last two years. It's like they have this way of just unlocking, you know, that fifth or sixth gear that that goalie didn't know that he had. And, you know, I've talked with people about it and, you know, some of the goalies themselves have said he just has a way Bob does has a way of making you look at something and go, huh, I never thought of it like that. And that next thing that's now your, that's now your ritual and it's leading you to great, you know, great numbers, great success. Like, so I think that is kind of where he comes into the mix there. You know, he just unlocks that yeah. other part of their brain that they don't really, you know, they, they've never been able to unlock before. And I think that was, and I, I and I, a lot of people aren't chicklets people and that's fine. Uh, it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but when Tuca was on, I tuned in and Tuca was like, you know, goalie Bob does it differently than some other goalie coaches do in the league. You know, some of those goalie coaches and he specifically cited in New Jersey, you know, the guy that was working with Brodeur tried to teach all of the things that worked for Brodeur to all of the other goalies in Jersey. And it just didn't work. Like you look at, you know, Mackenzie Blackwood and and these other players, Corey Schneider that have come through there. It just hasn't been productive since then. Um, but he, he was like, you know, Bob takes a look at the goalie and doesn't just do, doesn't just apply goalie Bob solutions. He tries to come up with, you know, something that'll actually work for the goaltender itself, um, which I think is really cool. I had one listener question that was sent in on that topic. Um, okay. Somebody wants to know if they think, could goalie Bob fix a goalie like Matt Murray? Uh, that might be a project that's that's too far gone. Um, you know, I feel really bad for Matt Murray. This was a guy who won two Stanley Cups in a row, was looking good. Just seems like he can't get on the right path here. Um I, I can tell you this though, is that when I asked Linus Olmark, when anyone asked Linus Olmark about, Hey, what's going well for you? The first answer he has is goalie Bob. So 
maybe it's possible that he can fix anything. Um, however, there mm-hmm. are guys though that we thought you know could maybe be something, but they weren't. Malcolm Subban being one, mm-hmm. you know, Nicholas Fedberg being one, uh, Marty keep Turco. Hitting the rewind button, Hanu Toivonen. Right, like there, you know. So it's not always foolproof. I mean, the player has to have something left in the tank. So with a guy like Matt Murray, I just wonder if there's anything left in the tank, or if injuries have completely drained him, you know, of whatever it is that you know he had. And it's it's a bummer because I, you know, you never want to see a guy's career end at what twenty nine, you know, twenty eight, twenty nine. I mean, so um, with a guy like with Matt Murray, I mean, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of a bridge too far. You know, there there are projects, and then there are projects, and I think he's in the latter. <laughs> yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think uh, like he's had a few additional opportunities with different systems. He got that contract in Ottawa. It obviously didn't work there. He had his time in Toronto, hasn't worked there. So I think I think it's it's probably up. And I mean, like you said, it really sucks for a guy that young to have it maybe potentially. And I'm not saying his career's done. He could still very well come back and have a you know successful few seasons, but. You know, it's not looking optimistic for him right now. Um, last few questions for you, Ty. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, what are your thoughts on on Brandon Bussey? Like, does he have a legitimate chance of getting NHL playing time? Or are we kind of walking into another Dan Vladar situation and we have to just for asset protection sake, maybe look at moving one of these goaltenders? It's a really great question. Um, if there's ever a year where you were kind of hoping that you never want to hope for an injury, right? But if you want to hope for a guy to maybe get sick for a week, a week or two, bring him up here, see what he has. I think this would be the year because you are inching closer and closer towards that time where you have to figure out, is he in your plans or is he not? And, you know, he's not 21. He's 25, I think. I think he's 24. He's turning 25 this year. He's not going to wait until one of Linus Allmark or Jeremy Swayman leaves. So you got to figure out what you have with him. You got to figure out if he's in your plans or if he's a trade chip. And I think it's really interesting that, you know, people were kind of banging the, the table saying, no, get him in there, get him in there. No, it's a bad idea. You never want to rush a guy if you don't have to. Right. And so you don't have to rush him. So right now you kind of roll with what you have, but I would like to see him get in the game here. You know, you go back to last year uh, towards that final two weeks of the season. I would have loved to have given him a game. Just see what you got, figure it out. You know, like, Get, get a read on what he is. You know, I remember that it was, I think it was that 20, I want to say 2011, 2012, maybe the year before, uh, Hudobin came up for a game and he was sensational. He had, I want to say he had like 40 something saves against Ottawa. It was a great performance. And you were like, whoa, they might have something here. And then sure enough, he comes up natural progression. He's the backup and he was great. And so I think you want to see what he has at this, at this level before you commit to saying, yeah, we're going to part with Lena Solmark. We're going to part with Jeremy Swayman because we believe in this guy. Like you can't go from zero to 60, I feel. And so that was a big reason why I was really pushing back on the narrative of they got to trade a goalie. Uh, why? Because Bussy had a good year in Providence. Yeah, so did Zane McIntyre. So did Nicholas Fedberg. You know, it doesn't mean that they were they were ready for the show, you know, yep. so I, I, but I do want to see him. If I, can, if I can get like a nice five-game sample, Brandon yeah. Bussey this year, I'll, I think I'll take it. I don't know about you, but I, I but I would need that. I'm right there with you, and I think before they can make any educated decision on moving on from one goalie or another due to cap reasons, you have to know that you have somebody that you can actually plug in as that one B. And it goes back to your point earlier. I mean, when we have a legitimate one A one B in Boston, the team is overall significantly more successful than what they are when they don't. 
Um, if we had another Malcolm Subban as the backup situation where it is almost like a guaranteed loss when you put him in that, I feel bad for saying that. Um, but, but Malcolm, it was a rough time with you in that here sometimes, but, uh, it, it, it doesn't really, I, I feel like maybe honestly, the one, a one B situation also lends itself to be a little bit more of the competition that drives both of the goalies to be better. They, they feel like, okay, if I have a few bad games here, my actual role as the one a is in question, you know? And I think that, that, that itself generates, more positive results from both of the goaltenders than than a you know a starter backup role that it was maybe common in the 2000s yeah absolutely and and you go back and you look at some of these teams that have to ride one guy you know Connor Hellebuck had to drag the Jets to the playoffs and then what happens they get their ass beat in five games it's like okay was that really worth it <laughs> you know like you, you had to run with this guy for what I think it was like 10 starts in 16 days or something crazy like that he gets you there but he's out of gas at the end of it you see Soros you know like they, they ride him to the ground every year you know you want to go back even further than that like I remember this was always the thing with Mika, Mika Kippersoff, who I liked a lot, but every year he's playing 70 games and they lose in the first round in five games. And you're like, wow, I wonder why, you know, like, and he would have a nine ten when he was a nine twenty five or whatever in the regular season. Like, you, you know, it, it's, it's tough to ride just one guy. And I think those kind of, those days are over. And so you got a good thing here with Olmark and Swayman. I'm in no rush to, to end it personally, because I do think that you're getting an effective tandem for, you know, what is the price of, I think, one elite goaltender. But you have him in net for all 82, right? Yeah, assuming health. And the other thing, too, and, you know, you sort of alluded to it there, is, like, the Bruins have been fortunate these last two years. They've never had both Olmark and Swayman down at the same time. When one guy is down, the other one is up. You know, like, and, and last year, both guys are up for, for a good spell there. But they've never had to deal with both guys being in the tank at the same time, which I think is a huge relief to the team in front of them, knowing that, okay, if he's down, this one's up. Like they, they have, they just have this weird chemistry that I think has made them, you know, greater than some of their parts. And I think it's going to be their backbone this season. And I think this is why they're going to be a good team this year. It's because of Swayman and Lomark. Uh, you know, they lost Bergeron, they lost Krejci, you know, they lost Orlov and Bertu- Bertuzzi, everybody, but like their goaltending is still there. And I think that's going to be their backbone this season. I think between the goaltending and the defense, you know, the defense is largely unchanged other than Connor Clifton departing over to Buffalo. Um, that's going to be where this team makes its money this year. We're going to, I think it's going to be kind of like a, a, a nod towards the Bruins teams of old, you know, a little bit more of like the 08, 09 style, like junkyard dog style offense. You're going to need to get some more of those Trent Frederick gritty goals out in front of the net to, to replace some of those you know, finesse David Krejci passes that are not going to be on the roster anymore. So and, um, and to that point, look at the size of everyone they added this, this off season, they're all six foot two and taller. Like it, like it clearly indicates they want to get, you know, greasier. I, I would say they understand they're not going to be, you know, a five goal a game team. Like they, they're going to have to kind of grind out some wins, grind out some goals and then rely on their goaltending to bail them out. So you know, to the, to your exact point, like, I think that is their blueprint this year. And I think it's a, I listen, I think Justin Williams had a quote in 2019. Sometimes you got to eat the crap sandwich. This season <laughs> is the crap sandwich. You got to make the most out of it, Put whatever toppings on, put whatever flavors, some seasoning, whatever you want to do to make it tolerable. I think that's what they're trying to do this year. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit of a crap sandwich, but I think we can stomach it this year for sure. Um, last question for you, Ty. Um, on the whole weird chemistry that our two goal the Bruins two goaltenders have right now, what's your take on the goalie hug? I think it's fine. People like it. Um, like anything, it's been monetized and commercialized to no end. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's organic and it, they're trying to do whatever they can to make it inorganic through no fault of either goaltender involved. But these guys, you know, I, I've covered a lot of teams, covered a lot of players. The love that Jeremy Swayman and Lena Solmark have for one another, it is genuine. Like it, it is, it is, they, really care about one another they spend time together off the ice uh constantly uh you know like swayman's family will go over to Ulmark's house uh and, and they'll just they'll just they'll just hang out together uh these guys i think they push each other in a way that is comfortable uh is conducive to long-term success you know i think thomas and rask kind of push each other but i don't think it was always in the the I don't think it was always healthy, if that makes sense. Like, I think there was like, Thomas was, was, you know, he was prickly and that made him great. It made him unbelievable, but I do think he was a little prickly. And so, you know, it depends what kind of personality you want, but I do think that the chemistry that these guys have, you know, it is, it is genuine. It is 100% real. So they want to hug. They can hug. I just, I hate like the, the way that it like it gets zoomed in on now by Nesson, they make t-shirts oh, out yeah. of it. It's like, dude, just let them hug. Like, let them hug. Be normal. All right. That's how we're gonna end the episode. Hashtag let them hug be normal. So Ty, definitely appreciate your time. I know you don't have to do this, but you know, as somebody that's followed your stuff for a while, it means a lot to me. Um, the listeners are gonna really enjoy the content too. So um, until we have you on again, once again, thank you so much. And uh uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll stay tuned to, to some of the other content before we sign off. Um, do you want to just plug your socials? How they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at or X, whatever the hell it's called now, uh, <laughs> at underscore Ty Anderson S O N. Uh, you can also find everything I write on nine day five sports dot com. Um, not sure about any radio stuff happening anytime soon. Uh, I'm not sure what 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 the plans are with that. Um, but other than that, uh, you know get my podcast every week on the sports hub the sports hub underground you can check that out as well so uh oh i also have a facebook page that i need to like log into and manage <laughs> i haven't done that in like eight months so sorry about that i'll figure that out though uh but yeah so that's where you can find me uh or if you just live in brighton you'll see me walking down the street probably so that's uh that's my message everyone out there <laughs> awesome great all right thanks again ty Thanks again to Ty Anderson for jumping on with us. That was a fantastic interview. It was really great to go over these things. Hopefully y'all enjoyed it as much as I did when I had him on. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again, Ty, for coming out. Sorry. I couldn't be there to, to interview with you, but uh, you know, I, he's an absolutely great follow on, on Twitter for anything Bruins related, you know, Tukarask Stan like myself. So give him a follow, interact with him, And uh, thanks again for coming out and taking the time to, to, to join us on the podcast today. Yeah, super stoked. He offered to come back on again later on in the season, so we'll certainly have him back on the two-pad stack to chat about things. Um, but yeah, good stuff, and we got some uh, some fun dirt on uh, on 98.5, the Sports Hub, which is good. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, Burge, it was great having you back in the seat here. 
Um, I know you're tired. I'm tired. It's late here. <laughs> I'm an old man. So Me too. <laughs> um, we're going to go ahead and call it here and we will see you all back for our 10th episode next week. And uh, until then, uh, this good. is, this is ACE here at the two pad stack signing off alongside Burge. We'll see y'all next time. All right. Have a good week.